We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers are in a peculiar part of their schedule. Tonight is the second game of a six-game stretch where they play a team that they've played very recently. And so that started with Charlotte a couple nights ago on Monday, who they had played the last game before we went out on this five-game road trip. And then tonight, we got Miami. We played them literally a week ago today. The next game is Atlanta. We played them a week ago on Friday. And so we've got this six-game stretch where we're in the middle of that. And that stretch has happened within this version of the Lakers team, right? Where So LeBron's playing like a superstar. Anthony Davis has been out. D. It's this version of the team where we've played all of those teams. And so I think that presents a, a really interesting uh, dynamic, both for the players and for the coaches. So what are your thoughts on that, on that idea of playing a team that you just played not too long ago within the course of the regular season? It's not quite like a playoff matchup, right, where you're planning for that team and that team only over the course of, uh, you know, a couple of weeks, but it is a little bit different than what normally happens over the regular season. No, it definitely is different. Although over the last couple of years, basically in the COVID seasons and after the bubble, how the team has tried to like mm. cut down on travel and you've gotten a look at, at several teams, like maybe if you're going to play two games in the same city um, or like the Lakers did this against the Spurs, for example. They played the Spurs, I think, three times in the span of like a week, right? And, mm -hmm. and um, now that's pretty rare to get that many games against the same same team. I think what's interesting is that it's normally like, oh, the Lakers are going to play in Denver twice this season. And so let's just play them both this time because that's the way that the schedule works out, right? Whereas this is literally like home and away versus a team that's on the other side of the country. Yes. Right? It, so, so that part is super interesting. I think you make a good point in that 
there has been no opportunity for there to be some massive shakeup with like the roster, like, oh, AD's out one game and now he's back or or he played in the first game and now he's Yeah, out. it's basically the same guys that played in that last game are playing in this game, knock on wood. Yeah, and so I'm I'm actually most interested about that within the context of the Heat game because the Heat game, Mike, was where JTA came in at the very end of that game and he had that last fourth quarter shift and it was his energy and ability to play on the wing against a a power perimeter Miami team that I thought was um, crucial towards the Lakers making whatever run that they were going to make before the Heat still won fairly comfortably at the end. And since then, JTA has been a part of the lineup. Right. He he uh, played in Atlanta and then he played in Charlotte and now it's Miami is back. We've talked a fair amount about the Lakers sizing up recently, particularly on the perimeter. And JTA has been a big part of that. I think Troy Brown has been an important piece of that puzzle as well. And so in, in sort of carrying Pete's question forward, I think that. This is going to give the Lakers a chance to settle back in and use what they've learned to try to beat a team that they just sort of struggled with in real ways, which is a point I tried to touch on a little bit in my game preview that will be up at Lakers.com because it's that physicality piece against the Heat specifically that I think is important. But I think against all of these teams, the Lakers are going to take pieces of what they've learned and try to apply them against a new group. And that does start tonight with Miami. So I'm interested to sort of hear your thoughts about that, about JTA and just the sizing up idea in general, because I know that you're a big proponent of that. Yeah, I think the first part for me is that this represents what the NBA season is all about. And it's it's sort of why playoff series themselves are ultimate, ultimately equalizers. And they take out a lot of the factors that come into play during the regular season. So typically when you play a team closer together now, and this has happened as the NBA has tried to reduce the amount of travel, it, it's the same thing. It equalizes the, the games where one of the teams might have an advantage the first time. Well, whoever loses that game then has the advantage going into the next game. And they also are less likely to have a rest disadvantage for a second time in a row. And it's why like the, the fact that the Lakers beat the Spurs twice in a row in that back to back was actually more to me a factor of the Spurs pulling player like kind of key players and then the Lakers played well but still like they there were a couple guys and then and then they started the game with and then that didn't come back in the second half Jakob Pertl was one of them and the, right mm-hmm. when they were making their run and Jeremy Sohan and, and like those types of things that if they, if they don't happen San Antonio was was kind of because it's just a human nature element if a team beat you the day before you're going to be more locked in you don't want to lose two in a row the other team may have just slightly less of the motivation because they just got to mm-hmm. win this is what happens night to night in in the nba and in league pass so to put this current lakers situation in there that laker game that they lost at miami was the second out of a back to back after they had played really well um and ad had had just gone out like the week prior and it was a it was a schedule a, a difficult game in the schedule, especially because of the the differentiation that Darius described and how Miami plays versus how Orlando played. Now that is not going to be the case tonight. The Lakers do have one thing going against them, and that's the first game after a long trip, mm-hmm. which, as LeBron has said multiple times, is always the toughest game to play because you have this false sense of security. But 
potentially going against that is that you just played this team and you're going to see the tape of how they came out super aggressive. And to me, that mitigates the whole first game at home thing. So that's all of that stuff has nothing to do with the actual X's and O's and the basketball, but it has a big, it has a lot to do with winning and losing in the NBA. And that's part of what we just described or actually Darius described that I was describing on the broadcast right from the Charlotte game where you can, I could just tell that some of those factors were not going to be in play for the Lakers. And they were going to, it was almost going to be like a, a positive for them, which is rare typically in that situation. So that's, that's the long winded version of it. Um, nothing to do with the matchups and I'll save that for you here, Pete. But I, I do think that it gives the Lakers against this Miami team. Um, it gives them an edge that they didn't have in Miami. All of those factors that you listed are super important in terms of influencing the day to day and game to game, even between the same two teams. And so, like, no, no need to undersell the importance of that. It's absolutely a, a big factor in terms of the basketball, though. Um, a couple of points stand out to me, D. First off, the sizing up idea. That was the last game that Lonnie played in and where he started. And so you were talking about that perimeter physicality that Miami has. That was a game where it's Dennis, Bev, and Lonnie. I'm curious to see if, for one, Lonnie plays tonight. He's questionable. And if he does, just... Troy Brown still start because we'd found a group, um, a starting group that we were, were winning those minutes, right? Like it's not just, you know, whether we win or lose the game, it's where, where are you winning and losing the game and why, and who are your players that are productive and who are not, who are the lineups that are productive and who are not. And so that starting group is just playing a lot better with the forward in that spot. And so just curious to see what happens there. But then TB, I think this is a tough matchup for TB, Bam Adebayo specifically. The game against Miami turned in that third quarter. Uh, it was a decently close game. They pushed it to nine at the end of the second quarter when it had been pretty close up until like the last minute and 30 seconds or so. Um, but then when they came out in the third quarter, nearly every play was a ball screen or some variation thereof between Tyler Hero and Bam attacking Thomas Bryant. And if it wasn't that, it was Jimmy Butler attacking Thomas Bryant. And so TB was a minus 22 in just 22, 23 minutes in that game. And then in the fourth quarter, we go to that small ball lineup, JTA's first minutes in quite a while. We're switching everything on defense, right? And so that to me is one of the things I'm curious about with Darwin in particular, this whole angle of like when you play a team not too long ago, well, they made some halftime adjustments that really attacked a weakness that that we had, and they pushed the game up to a 20-point game. What does that look like now that Darvin's had some time to to counter that? And so that's part of the fun chess match that happens between coaches. And so just I think all of that is a factor, along with what Mike was saying and from the environmental parts. I think those are a lot of the basketball things that play tonight. Yeah, I'm interested in both of those ideas as well, because it's the nature of the Heat's physicality that I think causes problems for both Lonnie and for TB on Nestle. And mm -hmm. so in in Lonnie's case, we've we talked about this a little bit on the last pod, but he can be more of a uh, like a sleek and rangy athlete. And those guys, I don't want to say more often than not, but they can be susceptible to players who play with force 
against them and knock them off of their path and make them rip through and get to spots on the floor where they have to leverage their strength rather than using that quickness and agility. A lot of times those guys need a little bit of space to kind of unfurl their athleticism and that sleek, graceful type of play. You need to be able to to do that. And if a guy's leaning on you, it's, it's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And so the Heat did a lot of that. Uh, The Lakers had 24 turnovers and a lot of it was because of both ball pressure and then ball denials and jumping Mm. in to passing lanes and just knocking guys off off of their path and just being obstructionists, basically. Um, And so Lonnie, I think, is one of the players, along with Dennis to a certain extent um, and Austin, honestly, Mm -hmm. that can all sort of be enveloped by bigger, more physical players. And I think Austin and Dennis have more craft in their games um, where they can escape some some of that at certain points, like pivots and reverse pivots and a little fade away here. Dennis has that great burst of speed to get by you. And so those players, I think, have a couple more tools in their shed, right, in order to create advantage against those, those sorts of defenses, even though they still are bothered by them. TB, this is where you see the greatest efficiency, Mike, between him and Anthony Davis. And so one of the things I highlighted in my post about today's game is just sort of offering some praise for TB and how well that that he's been playing. And particularly on the defensive glass, I have a stat in there about um, TB's defensive rebounding rate and how it compares to AD's and does so quite, quite favorably. But AD is a guy who has given Bam a ton of problems. Like he gave Bam problems like in the finals and and he takes that matchup seriously. It's sort of like those Kentucky boys, like they all Mm -hmm. sort of like to go (laughs) at each other and you see Bam get into it with Randall. You see AD get into it with Randall. Boogie Cousins was one of those guys. All of those Kentucky bigs, they all love to get after it against each other. So AD's got length, he's got size, he's got athleticism and he's bigger than Bam. He just is. And so he bothers Bam some. TB is not AD when it comes to that. He has good, well, good length, but he's such a ground-bound player, Mike. And so Bam is able to shoot over the top of TB in, in a way that just makes his life easier. And so I am interested to see how Darwin tries to counter that. Um, LeBron gave Bam some real issues in that fourth quarter where they were making their, their run. And it was because of that like short area quickness with strength and the ability to sort of get up and challenge in in a way that TB does. And, and, and so I'm very interested to see how Darwin tries to compensate for some of the athleticism deficiencies that TB is going to have against Bam, particularly with all of the screen and handoff actions that Miami likes to run. You know, you guys also just, I think, without trying to just describe the whole NBA history of players and sort of like the difference between real dominating players and not. And part of that is with a, with a guy like Lonnie or, or we were having this discussion on text yesterday, basically any guard that's, that's not big enough um, to really get things done in the, in the wrong kind of matchup, like Jimmy Butler or LeBron, you can't, they're not going to get thrown off their game by a certain defender. They're, they're just not uh, same thing with Anthony Davis. There's no matchup. That's just going to completely change the way that he plays. And, and that's sort of, like that in this matchup specifically, Miami's physicality did throw some of the Lakers off early. And and so I think that they're not going to necessarily change who they are in a day. But 
at least having that tape and going into the game with a different kind of mindset for any of those players, I think does make the difference. And the places that Bam was hurting them, those are there are some things there that I think Darvin Ham and his coaching staff could probably scheme at least a little bit differently. Or or they make a rotation change earlier. And that because he kept he was getting so much of what he wanted in that little floater range, mm-hmm. uh, especially early in the game, um, where I guess part of this is short area quickness and where he can get that against Thomas Bryant, but not LeBron because LeBron's just a little closer. And if you can take some of that space away by, I don't know, but maybe you put a JTA in earlier or you or you just help in a different way. Uh, th- there are ways that I'll, I'll defer to you guys on to get to those things. But I just thought it was interesting, like t- talking about the difference between right, a, a Lonnie or a, um, a, some one of the players like a Jimmy Butler or something. And those those are the things that don't change. And those are why uh, NBA teams are always trying to acquire those two way players that also can carry an offense that are also are big and long because because those guys are tough. I think we underrate the attribute of strength in the NBA. I think that, you know, wingspan is something rightfully so that is uh, glorified and something that we're always curious about the guy that's 6'10 with the 7'4 wingspan, right? And that's something that really impacts the game because you don't play a lot of the game with your your head, physically at least, uh, the outside of it. Uh, but you are with your hands and reaching out and deflecting passes. It just really impacts the game in a lot of ways. But what also does is, is strength. And so when you talk about a Jimmy Butler or LeBron James, especially year 20 LeBron James, even though he's just like like that alley-oop in transition, that reverse he had the other day. Just anyway, so he's still a phenomenal athlete, but he's, especially in half-court situations, needs a little more of that airspace to be able to just plant a foot in the ground and, you know, really throw one down the, the way he used to. And so, but it's really his strength that I think is something that, that um, shines through. And so that's something that when we talk about these guys a lot um, individually, D, but when collectively, when you're looking at Dennis and Lonnie and Pat Bev, who and Bev can guard up like he's, I think, the best of the bunch in term in terms of just like being more physical than his size. But when there's all of that together, I think that the collective strength between them just becomes a an issue that it in some ways like what to what degree can you balance that with just playing bigger players like your JTAs and your Troy Browns let's take a break when we come back I'd love to hear your thoughts we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, I think... On a certain level, it's necessary 
to play your bigger players. Like, I don't think that you can purposely go in with a disadvantage if you have some means of trying to equalize from the very beginning. And I get, I think Mike's point is well made about being more prepared, right? Like the first time you see a team and they're doing something different than particularly what the team that you played just the night before did when it's that stark of a contrast, I think it can put you back on your heels a little bit. And then, and then the other coach over there, he's an excellent head coach. And so he's going to not just, do the same thing over and over and over again, he's going to tweak and he's going to tweak and like, oh, you're starting to take this away. Now I'm going to change this. I'm going to, we're going to go to this sort of empty side action and make you defend this way. Spolstra might be the best in the game at that. Yeah. So it's not, so you're, you're constantly playing catch up after getting knocked back on your heels, Mike. And and so I do agree with what you're saying that being better prepared for that and having some experience in that will help. It's your argument that you've made consistently about like the guys who seek fouls or who are consistently trying to draw contact in in a playoff series that might work in game one it might even work in game two but by game three and game four and game five defenses adjust to what you're trying to do they understand your tricks also the refs they watch tape too they know where they're getting fooled and where things maybe aren't actually a foul because you did this other thing right and and so over time there is diminishing returns for any tactic that, that you're using if the other side is exposed to it over and over and over again. But to Pete's point, players are what they are, and almost every player has a nature to what makes them successful as, as a player. The best players, their nature is I could do whatever, but other players are more limited. And so you do have to find ways to counteract what the other team does well, or else you are purposely putting yourself behind the eight ball a little bit. And so I don't know if Lonnie is going to play tonight. I don't know if he's going to start when he does. I do know that he has shown a proclivity to sort of be disrupted by physicality, not just against the Heat, but against the Celtics and against some other teams that that played him a very particular way or or whose identity is is embedded in just playing a physical brand of perimeter defense. And so if Lonnie does play and if he does start, I do hope that's looked at a little bit more closely and accounted for in terms of substitution patterns and what the team can go to earlier um, in order to try to find counters because the Lakers did lose that game on offense. As much as we're going to talk about their defense, they scored, what, like 98 points? Miami scored 112. On a Laker team that's been scoring very well for a minute. Yeah, Mike, so so what do you see in all of that? And do you think making earlier changes or outright changes like within the starting group or within the rotation is appropriate because we know what Miami is going to do and the Lakers are going to need to find counters to that? Yeah, I liked that idea you guys had just in theory of if Troy Brown Jr. starts if he's in the starting lineup and then Lonnie uh, Walker, the fourth that's coming off the bench. I'm not sure if that's something that Dar- like Darwin, seems to be a little more reluctant to make changes like that um, right away. I wouldn't be, especially since Lonnie's been out and it's, be- it's been because of the tailbone injury, but I did like that look. And I think the mix of thinking about the things, if, if Lonnie can get up and down with Westbrook 
And then Austin Reeves in that case would still be coming off the bench. And then you would in theory have Toscano Anderson and Gabriel um, alongside that. And then, so your starting unit is, Mm -hmm. you know, Shooter, Beverly Brown with Bryant and LeBron. That team makes sense to me. It's a little bit more classically sized. And yes, then the alternative. Now the only, the flip side to that is that I also kind of liked that big bench group. And that was, so that was when essentially it's Westbrook with Troy Brown um, and JTA and then Reeves and Gabriel. And so I, the point is this team needed to be bigger. It's something we've been discussing all season long. And whether you start like that or whether you get to that in more bench groups, I, I think that both of them could work, but yeah, so it's to me, it's more about the defensive side. And, and what are you thinking? What's the difference between Troy Brown Jr. and Lonnie Walker, um, the fourth in that sense? And, you know, maybe Troy's going to reach a little bit less. He's going to be he's a little bit longer. He's not quite as athletic. You know, he doesn't necessarily move his feet the same way, but he he's probably a little bit more focused. So I, I do think that if I had to pick between the two, you're probably getting a little bit better Right now, I think early in the season, Lonnie had had played pretty well on that end, but he acknowledged himself that he had been slipping some. So I'm curious to see how Lonnie bounces back from that once he gets back into the lineup. And I think that Darvin's the type of coach that usually wants to give somebody a shot at doing that uh, before demoting them, essentially, which even if his minutes were going to stay the same, that that just is the fact that he would be, you know, playing fewer minutes and wouldn't be quite in the same pocket. So I do think that you that Darvin probably wants to give him a bit of a chance at redemption. To me, it's just a question of slotting. And when Lonnie was playing well earlier in the season, one of the things that I don't think we talk about enough, especially now that we have a little bit of information after the fact, is both Dennis and TB, with the same injury, isn't that crazy, came back after our 13th game. Actually, Dennis after our 12th and uh, and TB after our 13th. And so that 2-10 and start was without either of them, who, as the season has gone on, have become pretty important players to, to what we do. And so that beginning stretch, you've got Troy Brown was starting at the time, and then Bev was starting. Both are low usage, not really like give them the ball and score. They're not high point per game guys, not you know 10 plus point per game type of guys. And so alongside LeBron and AD, you need that third scorer. Just you know, classically for lineups, that third guy that can put the ball in the hoop is important. And even if he, that's not the only thing that he does. And so Lonnie really fits that idea with that particular group, if it's Bev and Troy Brown that are starting. But when Dennis comes back, and you've been talking about this recently, D, is that like Dennis can totally score 15 points for you. That's what he's done for his whole career. And he's a, a two-way player. And he's not that two-way wing we've talked about, but he's certainly a two-way guard that can be your third guy. And so that needs more of a Bev than it needs of a, a Lonnie, who's a fourth guy who puts the ball in the hoop. And now I know AD is out at the moment, but offensively, Thomas Bryant basically fills the same idea, right? In terms of a pecking order and guys that need a certain amount of shots. You don't need more than three guys like that on the floor at any given time. And then to me, when you combine that with a bench group that is ideally going to push the pace, that has athletes, like I think that bench group could be really overwhelming athletically. If it's Russ and Lonnie and JTA and Wenyon with skill guy, skill guy like Austin to balance it out, like in turn, and then w- if and when AD comes back, TB moves into that group. And so you've got Russ, Wenyon, and TB along with 
with Lonnie, you know, so that's, I don't know if it, if it would work, but in terms of styles of play, I just feel like that slots a whole lot better. I, I know we've been pounding this point a, a lot on the pod recently. Just super curious to see what Darvin does when Lonnie comes back, because I also see Mike's point in terms of like losing, losing your gig to injury is something that is, is tough. I have some pushback on that, but I'm curious your thoughts on that first. Yeah, this is where I come back to the bigger idea of no one's job is safe and the team has changed a lot with AD out. Yes. And so that latter point is more important than the first point, too. Right. And so I don't want to make it seem like, oh, well, no one's job is safe. Like and everyone like there's the guillotine. Right. No, we just know more than we did. We know more about what we look like without Anthony Davis than we did 10 games ago. Yes. And also with AD out, there needs there's a certain amount of like flexibility that needs to be in play, even when it comes to Thomas Bryant. Right. And so look like. I've praised TB a bunch, wrote about him today where I offered a bunch of praise. There was a great video that got put out about how great TB was over the road road trip. You should check that out as well. I thought his offensive rebound and follow dunk was the crucial play of the game yes. in Charlotte for a game where the Lakers really tried to sort of Dean Smith it and go four quarters a little bit and, and like run out the clock. Right. Yeah. And, and they needed that basket. They started to deny mm. LeBron and like someone else is going to beat us. It leads to like a Pat Bev leaning jumper in the lane that's mm-hmm. well contested. And TB's in a one-on-one matchup, Pete. It's him and Plumley on the glass. And TB's first to the ball, mm-hmm. tips it to himself, second jump, grabs it again, and then dunks right over the top where if he goes up soft, maybe Plumley blocks that. Oh, yeah. Right? Because Plumley was there to contest it as well. That was a contested play through and through all the way through the end. And so TB deserves all of that praise. Go back 15 minutes in the pod and you'll be hearing me talk about how TB is very likely to struggle against Bam out of bio. And so yep. on any given night without Anthony Davis, there need, there's a certain amount of malleability that just has to be present with the lineups, with the roster, with who plays and who doesn't. And we saw this a few games ago. Austin didn't close the last game. He was playing poorly um, against the Hawks, I think. He didn't, pl- Miami he didn't close too. that game either, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and so on any given night, Mike, it can be like, this guy's out. Sorry. Like, We know that you're a contributor. We know that you help, but that doesn't mean that anything is written in stone for anyone in this group except for LeBron James and maybe Dennis because he has become super important as well, I would argue. So I got a chance to talk to Austin if relatively briefly after the game, and I basically just threw a theory at him as to, you know, the the reason which I thought was kind of obvious, but for his struggles in the previous couple of games. And it's, it's also something that we had talked about earlier in the season when, or I guess it wasn't that much earlier. It was a couple of weeks ago, right? Where you had the struggles and you just kind of wasn't moving the best. And so if you just look at just straight up, look at Austin's minutes, just his total minutes it, to, up to the point of this point of the season, compare him to last year. It's very different. He's played a lot more. He's played a lot more high leverage minutes. He's closed a lot more games. And as he, as he acknowledges, he is almost always going against somebody that is either bigger or just more athletic or faster or something. And Austin's a great athlete. Like he was a a champion baseball player when he was a kid. 
He his teams were awesome in high school. So he, relative to the normal human, he's a great athlete. But just in terms of his where he is relative to LeBron James and Jimmy Butler and some of these these absolute super freak um, type all world type athletes, he's still getting used to that. He's still getting used to that load. And and I think that's what whether it's a combination of physical and mental, I think more physical. He's just going to hit a wall every once in a while until he yep. until he really like gets his his full season 82 game NBA body. And so he he basically was like, yeah, that's that's what that's what I feel like. Like I'm, I'm he's like, I'm really tired right now. And then yeah, man. the next person to speak is LeBron. And I, I asked LeBron a question and I was mumbling, not mumbling. I was bumbling a little bit more and getting to it because it's hard to ask a question to LeBron because it's, it's like, all right, LeBron. So here's Austin Reeves. And he's acknowledging some physical limitations. Well, you're LeBron James. You're you're the player who probably has had fewer physical limitations than almost any player in NBA history, almost any athlete. I don't remember a lot of stories about LeBron in his rookie year hitting a wall, despite going from playing against high school kids the year before. And all of a sudden, he just looks totally – he's jumping over and pushing grown men aside, even when he was skinnier LeBron. And, you know, he still answered it in a thoughtful way. But it's just it's important, I think, for us to make that kind of distinction. And and there's even a difference between Austin and like Alex Caruso, who is a bigger, stronger Mm -hmm. physical athlete than Austin. But Austin's got a lot more of the skill. I don't want to say a lot more, but he's got. So it's just these are all factors to consider when you see a guy being short on his jump shot, you know, going one for 12 and wondering Mm -hmm. why he looks like he's dragging in, in the mud. And it's because he is. And he's still getting to the point where he's getting his body to the point where he wants to ultimately. I mean, and he can work on that and that's going to improve. But how much of a natural athlete you are matters a lot more in the NBA than I think that we always talk about that along with taking care of his body, of course. And I think that that's a big part of his longevity. LeBron's just like you said, one of the greatest athletes to ever play the game. And that's part of what goes into it. And so that's going to happen with Austin. And that's one of the things that need to be managed because when you don't have that, also you have to play hard to be able to hang. I've, you know, there, there are uh, plenty of times where, you know, less athletic guys have been able to, you know, uh, to defend or, or hang with guys who are more athletic, but you got to go real hard to be able to do that. And you have to have a certain amount of mental anticipation that I think a guy like Austin does have. But that, that to me, D, is one of the most under-discussed parts of missing Anthony Davis is when you talk about one of the greatest athletes in the NBA, that's really what LeBron and AD are, aside from their skill and all of their wonderful, like their genius and all of that, just they're two of the greatest athletes to ever play the sport together on the same team. I would argue that Russell Westbrook's one of the greatest athletes to ever play the point guard position. And so when you think about like the overall build of the team and how to attack Miami specifically, I wanted to get to this point before we close closed. I think they're a team that's vulnerable to athleticism. And that really stinks when you don't have Anthony Davis, right? Like you, you fall off quite a bit in that respect. But when guys like, remember Russ was great in the Orlando game that preceded the Miami game, had a triple double, like 15, 13 and 13. And just was just, I'd said in the pod after, like, if we could bottle that game up and have it every night, like he was just phenomenal. And then very next night against Miami, he didn't have a rebound through three quarters. But then in that run that we made in the fourth, he had four in that one alone. And his athleticism was part of that, as was JTA. And so 
I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, that idea of, of athleticism in this overall context. I think that's a way that we can attack Miami because for as physical as they are, as strong on the perimeter as they are, I want to make Max Struess run with Alani Walker. You know what I'm saying? I want to make their guys uh, hang with us athletically. And I think that's that's a place where we can take advantage. Well, every player is susceptible in some way, shape, or form. There is no perfect athlete. We talk a lot about athleticism, mm-hmm. but there is no perfect athlete, right? And I mean, I think you give LeBron the truth serum and he might tell you at this stage of his career, like, I remember Miami Heat version of LeBron and it was like, oh yeah, he's locking up Derrick Rose. Mm-hmm. Earlier this season, I saw Jeremy Grant give LeBron an inside out crossover mm-hmm. and then get right to the basket to score a game-winning bucket, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's just like- Tatum certain- attacked him too. There have been a couple of times where teams have been like, oh yeah, we're going to go at LeBron, which is something that historically that's, that really hasn't happened at this point. Yeah, and, and it's still rare. Guys still see 6'9 sure. LeBron James and mm-hmm. they're just like, nope, nope, this ain't it, right? And, and, and so I get it, but no athlete is perfect. And so I think that the Lakers can- One of the things that I want to see more from the Lakers and Mike, I think the back to back and the nature of the Heat's physicality combined to diminish this is that there was like zero pace in that Heat game. And Mm -hmm. it did not pick up until that fourth quarter when the Lakers went extremely small. Now, there are ways to get pace. They can play with pace without having LeBron playing at center and having JTA at, at one of the forward spots. But it is going to be reliant on Russ and it is going to be reliant on Wenyon Gabriel and Thomas Bryant. And it is going to be reliant, I think, on defense, right? Like the Lakers are going to need Mm -hmm. to be more active defensively. They're going to need to gang rebound and then they're going to need to run. And so that idea, Pete, of like athleticism, where the heat are susceptible, I don't think it's going to be it's not going to be always they need to play with more strength themselves, the Lakers do, but mm-hmm. they need to use, you know how quickness turns into power? Well, once you get the advantage, right? Like basketball is a game of leverage as well, right? And so yes. if you get a shoulder pass to a guy, yeah, you might not be as strong as him, but you can you can seal a guy that's bigger than you. That's right. And so I want to, what, what I want to see from the Lakers is for them to stand up physically in a way so that they could leverage their quickness, their speed, their jumping ability, and all of the things that they do have, particularly against a Heat team that doesn't have a ton of that, right? Like mm-hmm. Hero's a good athlete. Jimmy Butler is a fantastic athlete in his own way. He plays at his own speed. He's one of those special sort of like pace doesn't matter to me players. Like you drop him in any environment and he makes it his own. He's also brilliant. So those guys, he's like mentally faster than you. Yeah. And then Bam is a great athlete, but like the rest of those guys, like Gabe Vincent's a good athlete. Max Struess is a good athlete, right? But then it's like, okay, Duncan Robinson, like um, Kayla Martin's a good athlete, right? And so, mm-hmm. but none of these guys are high-end super athletes. And I would take Lonnie with his speed and his jumping ability or Dennis with his speed and quickness and and sort of zip that he moves around the floor with and and on and on and on in terms of LeBron and TB and, and Wenyon. These are, Russ, these are guys that can get up and down the floor. They can mm-hmm. leverage their physical tools in ways that they didn't in the last game. And I think it's going to be super important that they accomplish that this game. Or we might just see a repeat of what happened the last game. Because if you let the Heat 
dictate the terms of engagement, Mike, the Heat are going to win the basketball game. It's just what they do. Yep. And to, to also just make sure I'm always representing this point of the, the, perspe- the uh, perspective, when you're getting anywhere between 30 and 40 points on 50 plus percent shooting efficiency to lead your mm-hmm. offense, you're going to have a chance to win almost any game. If, if you're it getting helps. a star that's, <laughs> that's scoring that efficiently and that easily on offense and the rest of the guys hit a couple threes, you know, play defense. And that's been the formula. It's all of this has really been about LeBron and for him to be able to reach this level at, after Davis goes out, and it's a level that he had had a couple of times, but wasn't doing consistently, partly because they were rightfully running things more through Anthony Davis. And that's kind of the, for now, we can skip the whole, how long can it be sustained? Cause it's been sustained <laughs> lately. It's, it's, he was very tired. You could, you could even tell, I could tell in the walk-off interview, the difference between Atlanta uh, and Charlotte, like what it took for him to dial that up again in 40 minutes, didn't sit in the fourth quarter, 43 points on 26 shots, but he somehow has gotten to the point where that's what he is expecting of himself. That's what the Lakers are expecting of him in this Miami game as well. And he was, he was meeting Miami's physicality, but he wasn't scoring that efficiently. And this is the last note for me, partly though, because of the way that Spolstra plays him and he's not going to have the same opportunities that he had in Charlotte uh, to get to the rim in the same way. So he's going to have to get some threes to fall. So, that's a whole nother thing. I, I I think it's going to be tough for LeBron to get 40 just because Spolstra will sell out to make sure that he can't. But that's going to open up some opportunities for other players uh, to to potentially step up into those spots. No, that's a great call out. Yeah, it's a whole different ball game uh, for him offensively. But yeah, he's been carrying us in that superstar kind of way. And, you know, superstar LeBron plus a decent defense and a couple other options has uh, historically been a pretty, pretty good combination. So, all right, we will be back tomorrow. Talk about how it goes. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tips to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James. 
putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.